0: good? Can you hear me? Probably not after that. Can you hear me, though? Can somebody give me a thumbs up or something? Not really? Kind of, sort of? Check, check. What about now? Am I good? You just use this mic? All right, can you guys hear me now? No. What about now? Yeah. 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 We're good now. All right. So I'm using this mic. Yes. Okay. All right. Good morning. Good morning. There's always always something. Always something. Um. If you all will go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of James Uh, we're gonna be reading in chapter 2 this morning and while you turn there I'm gonna open us up with a word of prayer God I thank you for the privilege it is for us to gather here today Lord personally I know the um, the obstacles that can occur on any given day Sometimes it seems like, particularly Sunday mornings, trying to get out the door and make our way to church, Lord. I know the many ways that I personally fell short and acted sinfully, Lord, even this morning in my thoughts and my words and my deeds, and God ask for your forgiveness for that. And I thank you that through Jesus Christ, you're gracious and merciful, and I'm already forgiven. And that that's true for every man, woman, and child here, Lord, that has uh, placed their faith and trust in you, Lord. And so despite the obstacles that um, we've all faced this morning, the challenges, I pray that you would help us to just assume a posture of humility, knowing, Lord, that we deserve nothing but through Jesus Christ that you've given us so much. And so I pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds, enable us to hear your word and that it would just sink in and change the way that we think, the way that we live and the way that we communicate, Lord. So I thank you for this letter of James that you've given us, that we've been able to spend time walking in, Lord. Thank you for the heart that our church has to preach your word, to sing your word, to pray your word, to live your word, Lord. So I just pray that you would be glorified as we seek to do that here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I've had the opportunity to um, be here and, and, and just... Uh, share God's Word. We've been working through James, uh, believe it or not, finally made it through chapter 1. And so now we are going to uh, start in chapter 2. So um, before I just dive into chapter 2, I'm, I'm really going to focus on um, the first several verses of chapter 2, particularly verses 1 through 7, but I'll read through all the way through 13 um, just to establish a little bit of context. But before I do that, just a recap last time whenever I preached I covered verses 26 and 27 the last couple verses of chapter one and some of the overarching points that I sought to make and draw from that text were as follows we must guard our tongue because our speech reflects our heart. the condition of our heart will lead us to bear either good or bad fruit bearing good fruit is evidence of our being in christ good fruit is a means of assurance of our salvation but it does not obtain our salvation or our justification before god we should love and serve others especially those in need because god cares for them just as much as others they are image bearers just like we are Christians should always show a love for God and care and concern for others, not just certain during certain times of the year like Easter, Thanksgiving and Christmas, but always we should show that love, care and concern for others and one way that we do that is by the way that we use our speech that we guard our tongue and so I really want to recap that one just to again establish context of where we've been and where we're going, but that um, we we should keep in mind that the the chapter markers, the verse numbers that are in our Bibles uh, were not there in the original letters that were written. That in this instance with the letter of James, the epistle, that it it was a letter that would have been passed around. And so oftentimes we can have, um, we can separate trains of thoughts because of those verse numbers or chapter markers that aren't always there. And it's easy to forget some of what we've read in a previous chapter that ties into the the following chapter. And that's the case here. Verses 26 and 27 really carry on the same thought as we get into the beginning of chapter 2. So let me read these verses that I'd like to focus on, and then we'll unpack some of that text. So James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I'm reading through the English Standard Version, by the way. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So your your Bible may have the heading over the beginning of chapter 2 that says the sin of partiality. And that heading encompasses verses 1 all the way through verse 13 but as I was preparing for this, I really felt that it would be helpful just to focus on those initial seven verses. So that's really where I'm gonna be spending the bulk of my time um, as we we walk through this. What I wanna do is I've got um, four main points that I want to establish through uh, unpacking this text. I'm gonna go ahead and give you three of those points right now, and then I'll conclude with the fourth point. So if you're taking notes, this may be helpful, if not. Please just listen. Um, So point number one, all who love God and have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are members of the family of God and fellow heirs of the kingdom. That may sound pretty straightforward, but whenever we really read through this, it's, it's something that's easy to overlook. Point number two, as humans, we are mirrors that either reflect a true representation of God to others or a distorted false image. Point number three, God's ways are not our ways. Therefore, we cannot show partiality based on our opinions, but only on what God holds as true. To show partiality based on our assessment is sinful and evil. So these are three points that that the text will will reveal as we walk through. But they're just some overarching headings as I walk through here that are going to be drawing back to. So as we walk through this, just verse 1 starts out, James opens it, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This statement, my brothers, is something, again, that we can just kind of brush over. But it's important because James is using this familial term to emphasize the point that he's making. James is reminding his audience here. That he and they are members of the family of God. They are brothers in Christ. So if that's true, the next statement is very important. He goes on to say, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because those who hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are part of the same family. They should not show partiality. They should not treat others differently in terms of loving and serving. If you are part of the same family, you should not treat family members in that family unit differently. That if we all have the same image-bearing capacity, that we are all part of the same family, we are all in Christ, that we should seek to love and serve that way. This builds on the theme that was in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. That loving those who are in need, loving our neighbor as ourselves. this is what I'm saying, where it just transitions from there that showing partiality is either in line or out of line with that love that we're supposed to be showing in terms of showing love to God and our neighbors. Those who hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ are all image bearers. Therefore, they all have inherent dignity and worth and should be treating each other as such. Secondly, recipients, of God's free grace made available through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That those who are in the family of Christ, those who are hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, are free recipients of the free grace that's been made available for Jesus Christ. Therefore, they're entitled to nothing. If we've received a free gift, who are we to treat it as though we have something more significant or that there's something special about us that's not the same case as other people? The same is true. If we are all image bearers of God, who are we to show partiality to other people, treating them as though that were not the case with them? James is really drawing out this point. If you are brothers, if we are all holding the same faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is unity amongst us. Therefore, to show partiality is out of step with the gospel truth. These are the reasons James is admonishing these believers to not give in to the sin of partiality. So before I go on, it would probably be really helpful for me to find what, what is partiality. When James is talking about showing the sin of partiality and using the term partiality, what exactly is he referring to? So just quite simply, the Oxford Dictionary defines partiality as follows. An unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. In short, it's favoritism. Whenever we're showing partiality, it's showing favoritism. It's, I prefer this person over that person. I'm going to treat this person this way because they're my favorite and treat this person that way because I don't particularly care for them. That's what it means to be partial. We have a bias towards individuals this can also be true, you can be partial to ice cream flavors or drinks or various things like that, but that's not so much an issue. In fact, this morning, my son Titus can attest to, I was absolutely showing partiality to some of our chickens that got out of the chicken coop. I I have several chickens and most of them are super docile and when they get out, they're very easy to put in, but there's this one that my father-in-law graciously gave me that's blind in one eye that's just an absolute terror when she gets out and and I was showing her that I was partial towards her this morning as I was trying to get her back into the coop I I don't know if I sinned against her or not if so forgive me but that there's partiality that's shown partiality in and of itself is not wrong but what James is really seeking to point out here when it comes to believers and really people in general but especially those that are amongst the body of Christ to show partiality is out of stuff with the gospel truth. And we'll get into that moving forward. So James defines what he is referring to in partiality in the following verses. So we'll read verses 2 through 4 right now where he really does a good job through a word picture of illustrating what he means by partiality. So verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So this word picture that I think all of us can grasp of somebody of a prominence and status coming into our presence, say you were having a, a, a dinner and you invited Uh, numerous guests there are some people that that hold more prominence than others and they come in and and you you treat them as such you you save a special place for them to sit you make sure to help them with their bags their jackets do you need anything would you like a drink of water where there's that other person that comes in let's think of family gatherings it's the holidays all right it's Thanksgiving and you're having family over there's some family members that you get along with more and then there's that that uncle that's twice removed, that has all that baggage and those problems, and you're like, uh, I really wish I didn't have to invite him, but he's here anyways, and and we we treat them as such. That's just one example, but I think all of us can relate to ways that we can show partiality. And so James is using this this word picture here of these guests coming in, and the person of prominence gets the special seat where the person of lowly status of seeming insignificance is given a lesser position. In the the time that James was writing this, this would have been referring to the, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, the people that worked in the temple that would have been given positions of honor, perhaps at meals when they had feasts and gatherings of that nature, while the others were disregarded and given these lowly positions. There's an excellent example of this that I want us to turn to of Peter doing something like this and Paul calling him out for it in Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 so if you want to turn there feel free Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 I'll give you a moment to turn there and then we'll read that all right Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 but when Cephas Peter Came to Antioch I opposed him this is Paul writing this I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James he was eating. he was eating with the Gentiles so so Peter was eating with the Gentiles when these these men of prominence came and when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party so these would have been jews of prominence maybe pharisees scribes i don't know but these jews came and peter found himself eating with the gentiles and so when he saw these jews of status and prominence he drew back from the gentiles verse 13 and the rest of the jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy verse 14 But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So some time ago, Doug did an excellent job, I believe, spending time in this text. It may not have been Doug. I always say Doug's the one that did it. But at some point, I know that we spent time in this text unpacking the truth of it. And and the gist of it is, is that this would have been after christ's resurrection the christian church was being established the gentiles were seen as heirs of the kingdom along with the jews and so peter was here eating with them but when these jewish men of prominence came in he removed himself the rest of the jews followed his leading along with barnabas and they sat to be with the other jews they withdrew though they were all part of the body of christ and when paul saw this he called them out for it he said how is it that you can live like this As a Jew at one time and then as a Gentile at one time and then a Jew at another time and then expect the Gentiles to do the same. You can't do that. You need to treat everyone without partiality. If we are all heirs of the body of Christ, if we are all in Christ, we need to treat them as such at mealtime and not. And so this is an example of Peter withdrawing, showing partiality to these Jewish people rather than showing uh, unbiased towards these fellow Christians. James is making the point since you are a part of the family of God don't show partiality it is not in step with the truth of the gospel that verbiage is really important that's a theme that I'll continue to use throughout in verse 14 of Galatians 2 Paul says but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel when we show partiality when we show a sinful bias towards other people our conduct our actions our words our deeds are not in step with the truth of the gospel. And I would say, if we're honest, if all of us here are honest with ourselves, we do this a lot. We show partiality a lot. It may not be in the context of what I've been talking about as far as family gatherings or when you have company over, but there's subtle ways that we do this all the time. We evaluate circumstances and situations, and we base our responses and our actions on what would be the most favorable outcome for ourselves. Oftentimes these self-centered evaluations are at the expense of using other people. I mean, if we really slow down, do we not do that? Do we not evaluate circumstances and situations all the time and thinking of what is most advantageous for myself? This can take place within the workplace where we decide to establish relationships with those that will make us look good, that will help us to find advancement within the workplace. And we tend to avoid those who would possibly hinder us or make us look bad. There's a level of wisdom in doing that. If there's there's people that are, are behaving wrongly, you don't necessarily want to associate yourself with, you know, a bad company corrupts good morals. You need to exercise judgment. But there's also those people that are trying their best. They just aren't always the best at it. And us as Christians, rather than coming alongside them and seeking to help them, we tend to withdraw that because it's not easy for us. We want to be with those that will make us look good. This can even take place in the home. I'll be honest, I can be guilty of this. We can tend to depend on those children of ours or those members of our household that will help us to get the job done as quickly and as smoothly as possible. And we tend to not ask for help from those that will struggle or have a hard time with it, or we may need to come alongside them and help them or finish the job, we rely on those that are gonna make things easy. At church and public and just in general, we engage in conversations and we cultivate relationships with those that we are comfortable with and we avoid those that may add challenges and obstacles to our life. Quite simply, we don't want messy. We don't want messy in our lives, so what do we do? We show partiality towards other people. We assess circumstances and situations, what's going to be most advantageous for myself, and we act in accordance with that. Oftentimes, we do not evaluate circumstances and situations in light of what is in step with the Gospel. We don't think of what would be most favorable and loving For others, what will point them towards the God who lovingly made them and sustains them? As image bearers and joint heirs with Christ, we are given the unique role and responsibility to reflect back to others who God is, like a mirror. But when we show partiality towards others, we are reflecting a distorted image of who God is. We are saying to that person, that this is the way God treats you this is the way God thinks of you and this is the way God thinks of these other people these people are more special and you not so much we as image bearers need to be sure that what we are reflecting back to other people especially in our relationships is in step with the gospel it is a true depiction of who God is James refers to this behavior of reflecting a distorted image as evil he uses the term evil and verse 4 you can see this verse 4 he says have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts have you not become judges with evil thoughts when you show partiality later on in the book of James in chapter 4 verse 12 James makes it very clear he says that there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. He makes it clear that God is the only true judge, God is the only lawgiver. So who are we to step in this position? When we make judgments about others that result in the sin of partiality, we're just we're placing ourselves in the position of God and deciding what we deem best, not what he deems best this is the very thing that the serpent did in the garden partiality causes us to reflect the father of lies more than our heavenly father this is why james refers to this behavior as evil we become judges with evil thoughts when we show partiality we usurp the role of god we put ourselves in the position of judge and we reflect evil rather than the truth of the gospel and what is real about God and the way that he values people verses 5 through 7 continue on listen my beloved brothers so now that I've all, I've said all of that listen, stop listen to what I'm about to say, I'm about to explain why what I just said this word picture of how you may show partiality is evil that our tendency whenever we do this is, is, is out of step with what God does. God's ways are not our ways. He has chosen the lowly in this example. God does not operate the same way that we do. Oftentimes, he uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his plans and purposes. We could look at the whole of redemptive history. Literally, from now, right now, all the way back to Adam and Eve. And those figures that God has chosen to use to advance the gospel, when you really slow down and get a good look at them, they're messy. They are messy people that have all kinds of baggage that, that would cause all sorts of problems. I, I could I could just list them off one after another. I mean, you, you think of, let me go in order. Abraham was, just to put it simply, a scaredy cat and, and lied about who Sarah was and and reflected wrongly how God views his people and ultimately God was the one that saved him out of that we look at Moses Moses was a scaredy cat afraid to use his tongue God presents himself in the form of a burning bush he says go you're gonna be my mouthpiece he's like I can't really talk that well like and God ultimately provides Aaron to help him but he was unwilling to David Committed murder and adultery, and also wrongly reflected who God was and the way that He handles those types of situations. We, we, I mean, we could go on and on for the sake of time. I won't. Those are just some prominent figures. But I mean, we also get outside of of what's within Scripture, and you just think of people like uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther certainly was not somebody that people would have picked out of the the classroom as the one to ultimately. Uh, uh, redeem the gospel truth for what it is and ultimately advance the 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 reformation all throughout church history there's people after people i shouldn't be up here i was a lowly drug addict deadbeat that was absolutely poorly reflecting who god was yet he's entrusted me to be here and 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 speak to the the gospel truth god uses the unlikely people isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 you can turn there if you want to but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Isaiah 55, 8-9 For my thoughts are not your thoughts Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord For as the heavens are higher than the earth So are my ways higher than your ways And my thoughts than your thoughts Jesus builds on this in Matthew 25, verses 35-40 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me Our motive for helping and serving other people and engaging in relationships must not be out of selfishness, but out of a desire to reflect God's image to others and bring glory to our creator. We need to remember that God chooses the weak and lowly. He chooses the unlikely person, not the person of prominence and status by worldly standards, but the one that is the exact opposite of that and raises them up to advance his gospel, to reflect his image. And so we need to treat those people as such. That may be our children, that may be our family members, that may be in the workplace, that may be out in public, that may be here in church. We need to remember that we are to reflect God's true image. Whether rich or poor, those who love God and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are heirs of the kingdom. Surprisingly, often when we show partiality, We tend to cater to those that truly oppose us and drag us into court. This is what James is saying. To the original audience, this would have been quite literal. The Pharisees, the the, the scribes, the, the religious leaders of that time were the ones that opposed them and drug them into court. They were the ones that were persecuting them for their faith. Those that Peter was seeking to pander to were the very ones that were persecuting them to us this is a bit more figurative but still true that those that are powerful and in positions of prominence by worldly standards are the ones that in verse 7 james says they blaspheme the honorable name by which we are called those whom we look up to who we would show partiality to if we were given the opportunity are often the ones that oppose what we as Christians say that we believe and stand for. You think of of famous people, you think of Hollywood, you think of politicians, you think of other people that are in those spheres. If you were in your workplace or you were in the grocery store and this person of prominence, this famous person, this politician was coming up to you to carry on a conversation, you'd be tempted to show special status to them but oftentimes those people that the world is elevated to these positions of prominence are the ones that despise what it is that we believe in and we need to recognize that that those that are rich so to speak often are ones that are opposed to what we believe and therefore we should not be treating them as any more special we shouldn't be treating them less than we need to keep that in mind they need gospel truth just as much as everybody else But just because they have status doesn't make them any more special. And just because somebody doesn't have status, that doesn't make them any less special or significant. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You can tell what you love by how you spend your time. Does your time, your energy, your relationships, and your financial emphasis reflect a love for God and a love for others such as your children, your spouse, your church or for those who are destitute and in need? Or does your time and your relational emphasis reflect a love for status, position and money? Ultimately a love of self. This question is ultimately what James is challenging his audience and us with in these first seven verses that we've read in chapter two. Who or what are we showing partiality towards? If your partiality is rooted in sin, the question that's begging to be asked, if you identify the sin of partiality in your life, the question that's begging to be asked is, what can I do about it? How do we fight the sin of partiality? And ultimately, whenever I was was reflecting on this, It was Matthew 22 verses 37 through 39 that came to mind this is our call to worship I'll read it again and he said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great and first commandment and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself the other week I had the opportunity Uh, To to go to OCA and 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 uh, be in one of their their chapels during spiritual emphasis week And I was assigned the opportunity to speak on what is what is biblical love and ultimately it was really undergirded by this text as well and trying to make the point that Biblical genuine sincere love is rooted in God because that's where it comes from and it can only flow through loving God loving others And then loving yourself and really loving yourself is merely a byproduct of loving God and loving others that that's ultimately where our joy and our happiness is rooted in is whenever we seek to engage relationships in that context and so i i say this because the same is true here if we identify the sin of partiality in our life what is it that we are supposed to do about it well first of all seek to love God in all that you do i get it easier said than done but resolve to do that, to love God first and then love and serve others. Don't focus on yourself. Don't evaluate circumstances and situations on what is most advantageous for you, but focus on what is most advantageous to reflect back to others who God is and then glorify God through doing that. So we seek to do that. We resolve to love God first and then love others. Secondly, we need to pray we recognize we are sinful in our partiality, we need to pray and ask God to change our heart. We need to ask God to help us to see others as He sees Him. We need to ask God to help us remember, moment by moment, that we are a mirror, whether we like it or not. Even people who are not Christians, because they are made in the image of God, are reflecting an image of God, albeit distorted. But we as Christians Christians especially, Because of Jesus putting a new heart in us, have the opportunity to either reflect a true image or continue to reflect a false image. We need to ask God to help us to remember that, that we are a mirror and that we resolve to want to reflect a true image of who God is. So we seek to love God first and love others. We pray to ask God to change our hearts. And we meditate on the reality that we are a mirror. We need to not just simply pray and ask God, but then we meditate on that. We chew on that truth that we are reflecting an image of God. Is it true or false? And then we engage. We engage in relationships. As messy people and situations present themselves, we remember this is an opportunity to be in step with the gospel truth. So we engage the messiness for the glory of God. And we remember... We're just as messy as everyone else. That's why we needed Jesus Christ. So these are the practical ways when we see the sin of partiality in our lives. We resolve to love God. We pray and ask him to change our heart. We meditate on that resolution that we've made and then we engage in relationships. Despite whether or not we do it perfectly, we seek to do so. When we fail to do it, we ask for forgiveness and we continue to plod along and seek to love others as God has loved us. So in summary, I'm going to summarize the first three points that I made and I'll summarize with the fourth point that I said that I would get to. Point number one, all who love God and have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are members of the family of God and heirs of the kingdom. Point number two, we are mirrors that either reflect a true representation of God to others or a distorted false image. Point number three. God's ways are not our ways. Therefore, we cannot assess others based on our opinions, but only on what God holds as true. A failure to do so is sinful and evil. And the fourth point, that we need to seek God first. This fourth point is summarizing the the action items that we can do when we see partiality in our lives. We seek God first, we pray for a heart change, We meditate on gospel truth and we engage with the mess. I'll repeat that one more time just in case you're taking notes. We seek God first. We pray for a heart change. We meditate on the gospel truth and we engage the mess. Let me close us with a word of prayer. God, I thank you. That is the quote that was sent out in the text thread to some of us earlier this week by H.B. Charles, Lord, that you know our dirt. Lord, that others have put it that you knew our stupidity whenever you placed our calling on our life, Lord. And I don't say that to be crass, but Lord, it is just a reality that you know our pitfalls, you know our mess, and you have made provision for that, first and foremost, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, Lord. So, God, I pray that we would assume a position of humility, remembering that we deserve nothing, that we are entitled to nothing, and therefore, who are we to show partiality towards others, Lord? For those that are in the body of Christ and those that are not, Lord, for us to remember that we at one point were not in the body of Christ and we were messy people and we needed the gospel truth, God. And so I pray that we as Christians would seek to be reflections of the truth of who you are, Lord. And the workplace, in the church, in public, Lord, and especially in our homes with our children, that we would remember the way that we talk to our children, the way that we interact with our children, with our spouses, is either reflecting a true image of who you are or a distorted one, Lord. And I pray that you would break our hearts over that, but that we wouldn't wallow in the molly grubs, Lord, but that we would remember that Jesus has made provision, that we are forgiven, and that we can grow. And so I pray that we would seek to love you first, that we would turn to you in prayer when we notice the shortcomings in our life, that we would glorify you for who you are, Lord, that we would meditate on the gospel truth, and we would engage the mess just as you engaged us in our mess, Lord. So please help us to overcome the sin of partiality, Lord, and may you be glorified as we seek to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.